Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815 on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, Subtext. And the Chafin trade, and ask me questions if I was confusing. When a baseball fan gets too, oh, how do I want to put it? It's somewhere in between polar or binary about something baseball related. They're probably missing something sometimes. For instance, oh, let's take something not cub related. Um, hmm, who do I want to go with? Uh, let's go with Dylan Cease. Let's go with Dylan Cease. Kind of cub related, not really. Some people possibly might be interested in writing Dylan Cease's complete career summary right now. For his career, was he a two? Was he a three? Was he a four? Was he a... Hold the phone. Let him finish his career. Then after he has finished his career, then we can assess how good he was. Some things we don't know yet. Some things, there's not enough information yet. Some things, you have to wait and let things develop. It's not a yes or no answer all the time. A lot of times, there's subtext that has to be gone through. There are other considerations. There is other stuff going on that realistically has to be looked at and contemplated before a, man, this guy sucks, sort of a uh, epithet is tossed about. Realistically, some actions are drawn out and are thought of in the long term not the short term. So if you're going to look at something that is a long-term answer, do the homework. Look into it. Take the time. Understand it. And get it right. And maybe you won't get it right this time. Maybe you'll be a little bit off this time. Maybe I'll be a little bit off this time. But if I walk through it enough times... Then maybe eventually I will, oh, oh, okay, now I kind of understand it. Some things are kind of a little complicated. And if they're kind of a little bit complicated, then accept that they're kind of a little bit complicated. And an easy answer doesn't necessarily always apply. Subtext in the Andrew Chafin trade. Andrew Chafin, when he came over to the Cubs initially, 
was it 2020? Didn't do all that well and didn't, what, engender himself to Cubs fans all that much. When he came back in 2021, he was fantastic. He was fantastic. The back end of that bullpen, he and um, Kimbrell and Ryan Tapera, that bullpen late. If the Cubs had the lead, they were generally in really good shape. And all three of Kimbrell, Tapera, and Chafin contributed heavily to that. It wasn't just, well, yeah, they were kind of good. No, they were fantastic. And because they were fantastic, other teams decided, you know what? We probably ought to look into trading for this player. Because he's having a fantastic season, and if that stuff all kind of continues, he might help us win. So, when you're a team that's struggling, and you're a team that's playing for the future, and you trade away some of your key players, and you piss off your fans, it's best to get long-term value for whichever players... You're trading away. Stepping aside from the Schaefer trade for a second. I saw today that Jake Marisnik was released by the Rangers today. Jake Marisnik was a player the Cubs picked up with the mindset of if the team does well and if he does well, then he might help us make the postseason, but if the team doesn't do well and he does do well, then he's the type of player that some team at the deadline might be interested in trading someone of value for. So what ended up happening right near the deadline, the Padres were thinking, hey, dude, we're going to make the playoffs. Jake Marisnik is going to help us make the playoffs. And the Cubs asked the Padres, well, would you be interested in trading for Jake Marisnik? And in effect, uh, A.J. Preller said, yeah, sure, why not? But we got to figure out some sort of a you know, back and forth. And um, Cubs more than likely, hey, you want to give us a um, recent draft pick or a recent international thing? Yeah, hang on. How about, how about this? How about this? We have a guy. We have a guy on our 40-man roster that... If we bring in Jake Marisnik, we're probably going to have to DFA this guy anyway. So how about this? We will trade you the guy that if we trade for Jake Marisnik, we're going to have to DFA him anyway. How about we just trade him to you? We will trade Anderson Espinosa to the Cubs for Jake Marisnik. And... Jed Hoyer said, okay, yeah, we can do that. So the Cubs end up making the trade, and whatever Jake Marisnik was going to do for the Padres, the Cubs were more than happy to get a live human being body that played baseball for Jake Marisnik because Marisnik really wasn't that big of a thing. He was signed to be traded in July. 
and he was signed and he was traded in July, it all worked out fine. There wasn't a problem. Whether Anderson Espinoza turns out highly successful with the Cubs or isn't, irrespective of that, Anderson Espinoza is in Cubs training camp right now. He will be on a roster this week. He will be pitching either over the weekend or next week or whenever it is that he pitches. And Jake Marisnik was a free agent in the offseason after the Padres didn't re-sign him. And the Rangers released him. So in the time it's taken for um, Jake Marisnik to go from the Cubs to the Padres to the Rangers to released again, the Cubs have gotten to better know Anderson Espinosa. And realistically, they've kind of come to value him. How he's going to do? Oh, we don't know that yet. That's yet to be determined. But the Cubs are interested in Anderson Espinosa. And they think there's a possibility he might be kind of useful. Will that be the case? Eh, dunno. But he's certainly of more value now to the Cubs than Jake Marisnik is to the Padres. Or Jake Marisnik is to the Rangers. Or Jake Marisnik is to anybody else. When a team is trading a veteran for a prospect in a season when their season is about done and they bloody well know it. The goal is this. If you're trading away a veteran for the prospects, you trade the veteran for the best talent pool you can possibly get for each of the players that you're trading away. It's not a case of, ooh, I don't want to trade him to the Brewers. Ooh, I don't want to trade him to the Phillies. Ooh, I don't want... The Cubs don't care who they're trading him to. The Cubs want to get the best possible return for each asset that they're trading away. If they can get a player who is a 50-valued prospect on the board... And that's the best offer they can get, then that's what they'll do. If they can't get a 50, but they can get a 45, maybe they'll do that. But it's it boils to getting the best possible return for each player that's being traded away, regardless who, regardless what, regardless who they're sending them to, regardless what the return is. It's not normally a case of... We absolutely have to get a pitcher, or it's essential this trade brings us back a catcher. It's more often a case of bring me the best options. Bring me the best players we can possibly get, and whoever makes the best offer gets the player. Don't really care. So, 
as we go back to the Andrew Chafin trade, the A's are a good team to talk with often if you're making a trade because in general, though not this year, uh, in general, the A's really are not overly concerned all that much with prospect hype. What the A's want to do is, if they have a competitive team, if they look like they might make the playoffs, if they look like they actually have a squad this year, then what they're generally going to try to do is maximize that squad and make trades that aren't going to hurt them for too much in the future, but upgrade their team. The goal is with the A's, if they're playoff bound, upgrade the team so they A, have a better chance of making the playoffs, and B, if they do make the playoffs, they have a better chance of doing something when in the playoffs. So the A's looked at Andrew Chafin and figured, you know what? He's having a really good season. He might help put us over the top. He might help get us into the playoffs. I think when the trade was made, they were a playoff team. The season were to end there. And they kind of fell apart later, but it wasn't Andrew Chafin's fault. Um, so the A's decided, let's make a trade for Andrew Chafin and talk to Jed Hoyer, see if we can get something done, and possibly upgrade our chances of having a truly successful 2021 season. So the plans were in the works, and the A's were completely interested in trading for Andrew Chafin. So here's a little reminder of what was the question that I asked you asked about um, a couple minutes ago. What should the Cubs be looking for if trading Andrew Chafin? Should it be make sure to not trade him to the Dodgers or the Giants? No. If the Dodgers or the Giants make the best offer, then that's exactly who they should trade him to. Um, should it be not trade to an American League team because we don't like the DH? No, that has nothing to do with it. What the Cubs were looking for was the best possible offer. So, if the A's make the best offer for Andrew Chafin, then the A's get Andrew Chafin. If someone makes a better offer than Andrew Chafin, uh, makes a better offer for Andrew Chafin than the A's, then you trade him to the team who makes the better offer. All the Cubs are looking for when they're making a trade like that is get the best return on the trade. That's what mattered. Nothing else. That was completely it. So, as the Cubs looked through the offers of the 29 teams, well, the offers of the teams that were making trades, um, 
the A's offer was presumably the best offer made. The Cubs ended up getting a recently signed Daniel Palencia, who was signed from overseas, a somewhere between a starting pitcher and a relief pitcher, and he would up and toss at 99, 100, 101, 102, and carry that velocity sometimes into the fourth or fifth inning, which I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds kind of interesting, especially since he was and still is nowhere really near um, Rule 5 draft eligibility. So the Cubs decided, you know what? Daniel Palencia is probably the best upside pick, the best upside asset that the Cubs would get back in return in exchange for Andrew Chafin. Probably the best guy, probably the most interesting, probably the most upside, probably the most however you want to phrase it. Except when you're trying to make a trade, what is it that you're trying to get? You're trying to get the best return possible. So, if they decide, you know what? I think probably Palencia plus a piece is probably the best we'll get. Palencia plus a piece is probably the best we will get. So, that's the Cubs' internal discussion. And then they're talking with the A's and probably a couple other teams. Hey, what, what about this? What about that? How about we do this? How about we do that? How about we do the other thing? How about the... Okay, in the middle of this discussion at some point, Oakland makes a roster move and adds someone to their 40-man roster. I should probably figure out who this was. I think I looked it up once and figured it out, but I've since forgotten who it was. And the, A- the A's added someone to their 40-man roster, except to add the player to the 40-man roster, which was full, somebody had to go away. And you know what somebody had to go away generally means in baseball in regards to the 40-man roster. What that generally means is somebody's going to have to get designated for assignment. Somebody is going to have to go away somehow or possibly get run through waivers clear waivers, and come back home. Come back home to roost. That was the A's hope when they designated for assignment Frank Schwindel. Well, long story short, the Cubs realized, you know what? We have some people on our 40-man roster that we're really not all that sold on. We're going to be making some trades anyway, etc., 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 And right before Frank Schwindel went on the waiver wire, the Cubs had traded Jack Peterson. By trading Jack Peterson, the Cubs had opened up a 40-man roster spot. So the Cubs had a 40-man roster spot, and the next interesting player that was placed on waivers, the Cubs could effectively pick him up without losing anybody. A couple days later, the A's put Frank Schwindel on waivers. 
the Cubs figure, you know, well, we're going to be trading our first baseman, our third baseman, our, you know, all these other guys and a bunch of relievers and, you know, people all over the place. We're probably going to need a first baseman, so we might as well claim this Schwindel guy. I don't know if he's going to be any good or not. He's done some good things. He's had some things that didn't go so well. But if we do end up getting him off of waivers, then we can certainly put him at first base in August and September and see how the heck he does. And then we'll have more information on him for in the offseason. And then we'll decide if we want to keep him or not. So the Cubs ended up claiming Frank Schwindel on waivers. And eventually he ended up being the Cubs' first baseman. But since the A's had designated for assignment Frank Schwindel, when the A's picked up Andrew Chafin, they were again going to have to designate someone for assignment if they didn't clear a roster spot. So what they decided when the Cubs were talking with the A's, and I had done some A's research, and I was interested in Daniel Buelvis. No, Brian Buelvis. Brian Buelvis, a center fielder in advanced A-ball. Interested in him. Uh, you know, they, they had some interesting names, but um, what probably ended up happening was the A's kind of in the same situation that the Padres would end up getting with uh, Jake Marisnik, say, how about this, how about this, how about this, how about this? If we're going to do the Andrew Chafin trade, we're going to need to create a 40-man roster spot anyway. Probably the guy we're going to designate for assignment is, Dan, uh, is Greg Dykeman. How about we send you Greg Dykeman along with Daniel Palencia, For Andrew Chafin. And after a while, that's exactly what the Cubs did. Why did the Cubs do that? Because it was the best offer they were getting. It was the best offer that they got. If they had gotten a better offer from the Giants or the Tigers or the Royals or the Red Sox or the Blue Jays, they'd have taken that offer. The best offer the Cubs got for Andrew Chafin was Daniel Palencia and Greg Dykeman, with Greg Dykeman taking Andrew Chafin's 40-man roster spot and Andrew Chafin taking Greg Dykeman's 40-man roster spot. Greg Dykeman effectively was a bit of an afterthought. It's not that Greg Dykeman sucks, man. If that were the case, they wouldn't have been interested in him. What it was, was Greg Dykeman was a second-round draft pick in the SEC, from the SEC. He hit fairly well in the SEC, particularly as a junior. The Cubs probably were interested in, it, in him during the draft, or at least some of the people who were in the front office had been interested in him as the draft discussions were going on. The Cubs decided, you know what, Palencia and Dykeman for Andrew Chafin is a perfectly acceptable return for a relief pitcher who is going to be a lapsing contract 
at the end of the season anyway. The Cubs traded Andrew Chafin for the best return they could get. And the best return they could get, in their judgment, was Daniel Palencia and Greg Dykeman. That was the best return they could get. And dollars to donuts, dollars to donuts, the primary piece in the trade, as far as Jed Hoyer's interest in the future, was probably Daniel Palencia. Probably. I don't know that. I don't have a citation of that. I don't have a media news story saying that. But I'm guessing the right-handed pitcher who tosses a hundy and has been known to drag the hundred into the third or fourth or fifth inning, that's probably something the Cubs were kind of interested in. And Palencia, who would not be Rule 5 draft eligible for a while, was probably of a bit more interest to the Cubs than was Greg Dykeman, who was already on the 40-man roster. So why did they take Greg Dykeman? Because you're better off taking Daniel Palencia and Greg Dykeman than Daniel Palencia and nobody. Basically, that's about it. The Cubs believe that Dykeman has a chance. Greg Dykeman still has a chance. But that Greg Dykeman struggled in his first trip to the majors, as did Oh, let's toss off a couple of names of people that struggled in their first time in the major leagues. Uh, Mike Trout struggled his first time in the major leagues. Um, Anthony Rizzo struggled his first time in the major leagues. Um, Javier Baez kind of struggled his first time in the major leagues. A whole bunch of people did. Greg Maddox struggled his first two years in the major leagues. Cubs to say, you know what, let's, let's bring in this Dykeman and put him in AAA, see how he does, and if it gets to that point, maybe we'll call him up and see how he does at the major league level, which eventually happened, and he struggled. That doesn't mean that bringing in Greg Dykeman was a stupid idea. What's the goal when you're trading... Veterans for prospects. What is the prospect return that you're trying to obtain? The best possible return available. Exactly. So, since the goal was find the best available return, and since the Cubs presumably decided or figured or assumed or grasped or comprehended that the best return they were probably going to get was Dykeman and Palencia for Andrew Chafin. That's why the trade made sense. Any talk about Greg Dykeman, the subtext ought to be the Cubs took the best trade offer. They took the best trade 
offered. The best trade offered was Daniel Palencia and a guy who a couple years ago was a second-round draft pick that hit really well in the SEC. That was the best trade offer. So that's the trade offer the Cubs took. Does that mean that Daniel Palencia will be a MLB star? No. Does that mean that Greg Dykeman will be a major league star? No. Well, what does it mean? What it means is Greg Dykeman and Daniel Palencia, in whichever order you wish to put them in, was probably the best trade return for the Cubs for Andrew Chafin. And all things considered, since the Cubs really weren't all that interested in the last two months of the season anyway, it was a pretty darn good return. It's not about Greg Dykeman absolutely has to be at this certain specific level of good or else it was a stupid move to accept him. No, that, that ain't going to do. When a team makes a trade, there is 0% of total complete awareness of exactly how that player will do. Heck, if the A's knew they were going to fall apart and miss the playoffs, they wouldn't have made the trade in the first place. They didn't know. The Cubs didn't necessarily know how Greg Dykeman was going to do either. They figured, you know what? Second round draft pick, SEC, hit well there. Yeah, sure, that's worth a gamble. Why not? And so far, he hasn't been designated for assignment yet. Maybe he will at some point, particularly if he doesn't hit in AAA over the next six weeks or so. But to ignore the subtext of why did the Cubs make the specific trade that they made, if you're going to laser focus on Greg Dykeman, you're not looking at you're not looking at Daniel Palencia, who was the guy that the Cubs actually wanted. Daniel Palencia was probably the guy the Cubs wanted. And if someone is completely disregarding Daniel Palencia when talking about the um, Andrew Chafin trade, which was a fantastic trade by the Cubs, you get two live bodies for a rental relief pitcher who certainly isn't going to be extended. That's exactly why you're trying to load up on relief pitchers to trade in July. Because relief pitchers, if they're doing well, can trade in July and bring you guys like Daniel Palencia and Greg Dykeman. To criticize the Cubs over adding Greg Dykeman when Greg Dykeman taking the 40-man roster spot of Andrew Chafin made as much sense as Andrew Chafin taking the 40-man roster spot of Greg Dykeman, you're completely missing the point. You're completely missing the point, much like the Cubs fan who still has yet to realize that the success in 2015, 2016, and 2017 
was in large part because the Cubs decided that in 2012, 2013, and 2014, those games were actually a whole lot less important than the games were going to be in 2015, 2016, and 2017. And people can complain and howl and scream and fuss and debate and kick things. But the reality is, if the Cubs had prioritized the 2012 season, if the Cubs had decided our ultimate goal in 2012 is to make damn well sure we're going to make the playoffs or die trying, they never would have gotten Chris Bryant. Never, ever, 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 ever. And Cubs fans will probably still be thinking that draft picks are a waste of time. When a team is making a trade because they're out of it and they want to get some sort of a return for a relief pitcher that is a that has an expiring contract, the goal is to get the best return possible of all the teams in the league. Who the trade goes to, who the trade is made with, is absolutely unimportant. The Cubs got the best trade offer, presumably, for Andrew Chafin from Oakland. And in doing so, they added two players who are still with the Cubs. And since the trade was made, the Padres didn't ask back Jake Marisnik, and the Rangers have since released Jake Marisnik. And the Cubs still have Daniel Palencia and Greg Dykeman in their organization. We do not, well, I do not know what Greg Dykeman's future holds. I, I, I made a tweet today thinking about this sort of a thing. Don't tell me that a player sucks or he's terrible or he's old. Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Especially if you're like an, a non-athlete who, you know, <laughs> didn't play D1 ball or, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Don't tell me this guy sucks, this guy's terrible. Tell me what sort of a cash contribution you are going to make if this player figures it out. If this player ends up being, oh, let's say David Bodie Good. David Bodie Good. So he gets an extension from a team who's going to actually get paid. He's actually going to make eight figures worth of cash in his Major League Baseball career. What sort of a cash contribution are you going to make if this player gets an eight-figure career of MLB earnings? What is your contribution if you are wrong? If you're too wishy-washy to say, that, oh, I will happily make a $1,000 contribution to Cubs Care if this guy makes 
a decent career out of out of his MLB time. If you're willing to make that sort of a contribution and, you know, prove and show and all that kind of stuff, and if it is, oh, yeah, I was wrong. Here, I better make my $1,000 contribution. Then I'm interested in your opinion. But if you're just talking out of your backside and have no awareness, no knowledge, no anything, I don't care. I don't care even remotely about what your opinion is on this certain player or that certain player or anything. If you're not willing to put your skin into the game, your opinion doesn't matter. Well, Tim, when do you put your skin into the game? I don't know if you know this. I have a podcast. I do a little bit of writing. Once in a while, I get paid a little bit. If you are willing to go on record and say that this certain specific player is horrible and you're willing to, you know, put money on it. If this guy is adequate, I will make this sort of a contribution to this charity. Then I might be interested in your opinion on Greg Dykeman. On Daniel Palencia, on Anderson Espinosa, on whoever the heck you want to talk about. But if all you're doing is saying, this guy is terrible because his numbers so far have been less than I would have preferred, your opinion is useless. Your opinion is useless. Just like most people's opinions are useless. The goal ought to be grasp the logic, grasp the subtext, understand why what is being done is being done. And if you're wrong, own it. Looks like I was wrong on Clint Frazier. I did not know that last year he was playing under the fog of a concussion. And now he's playing a whole lot better. I did not think that, yeah, I think that probably Clint Frazier is playing with a concussion. And once that clears up next year, he might be playing a whole lot better. I, I, I didn't think that. I'm completely good with saying, yeah, I was completely wrong on that. I did not have his full medical uh, information. I didn't know that. If you're not willing to admit you're wrong, I probably don't want to know what your opinion is in the first place. Not even remotely. Because if you're not willing to admit when you're wrong, your opinion is inconsequential. Greg Dykeman is not the key to why the Cubs traded Andrew Chafin to the A's. The Cubs traded Andrew Schaefer to the A's because the A's offer was better than anyone else's or they would have traded him elsewhere. Daniel Palencia is more the big piece <coughs> than Greg Dykeman. And the A's probably tossed in Greg Dykeman to an extent because he's going to get designated for assignment anyway.
Cubs would say, you know what? We'll hang on to this guy, give him a look, let him play a bunch at Iowa, let him play a bunch at Iowa in 2021, let him play a bunch at Iowa in 2022, and see how he does. See how he does. Because there's very little risk in that. There's very little risk in, what the heck, let's give this... (coughs) Let's give this guy a look. See how he does. That's exactly how it's supposed to be done with trades. Get the best pieces you possibly can. See how it works. Because I I certainly don't know what's going to happen in three months. 15 months. 27 months. I'm not that smart. Maybe you know exactly everything that's going to happen. And if you do know everything what that's going to happen, you probably ought to start gambling because if you're better at knowing what's going to happen than the entire known universe is, you can probably make some good money gambling. But then also, if you think that you're going to make some money gambling, you're probably a damn fool. Thanks for stopping by.